Life Out Loud is a literary nonfiction podcast series that features real student stories. Born in a John Jay College creative nonfiction writing classroom in the fall 2015 semester, Life Out Loud seeks to diversify the perspectives typically shared in the CNF genre. Our project aims to amplify voices seldom heard through artful truth-telling simply because we believe that all stories matter. We make them, and they make us. You can always listen at lifeoutloudpodcast.com. Hi there, and welcome back to Life Out Loud, a literary nonfiction podcast through which we tell true, maybe all too true, stories. I'm Tatiana, one of your hosts tonight. My name is Lindsay. Hi, everyone. And I'm Christina. And I'm Brianna. This is the second episode of our seventh season entitled Regretfully Yours. And I'm Sophia. In this episode, two authors wrestle with the idea that sometimes relationships are not as straightforward as they may seem. With that, let's get into the first story of the night. This story is by a new author to the podcast, DJ. DJ is a 19-year-old English major enrolled at John Jay. Born and raised in New York City in a Mexican household, DJ often finds himself writing and recording music as a form of therapy. In his spare time, he loves to hang out with his friends and drive around random places. He hopes to one day be famous for something and to make an impact on the world in a big way. Now, let's take a listen to DJ's piece. Read by a previous author, host, and volunteer of Life Out Loud, Bilal. I regret the night I went to her birthday party. At first, I was hesitant about going. I mean, who wouldn't be? The thought of seeing her again only hurt, especially because we hadn't spoken in months after it ended unexpectedly. But her sister invited me. I couldn't pass up this opportunity to discuss how she ended things. Maybe I would convince her to give me another chance to hear me out. As soon as I enter the party, I feel a million eyes on me. I hadn't felt that many eyes on me since my fifth grade talent show. The morning of, I was so ready. I practiced my routine for the past week nonstop, especially the moonwalk part. How could I mess it up? That day, I went straight to the auditorium. The rest of the participants were sitting in the back getting ready for their act. They looked nervous, but I wasn't. I was fully confident that I can be the best act out of all. An hour passed, and everybody from the teachers to the students was seated. So many people waiting to watch. And so it began. I was ready. I was born for this. I was the last act that day. I put on my shiny glove and my sparkling jacket. I had my hat in my hand. I walked up to the middle of the stage. Michael Jackson's Billie Jean started playing. I hit every move, just like I practiced. I was doing it. Everyone was cheering, and they knew what was last to come. Looking around the auditorium, I saw her. She smiled at her friend, and I lost my focus. The end was coming. Come on, kid. You got this. No pressure. I positioned myself for the moonwalk, but I took too much of a step back. Wait, I was falling. I fell. It was done. I quickly got back up to finish the dance. And I did finish, but at that point, it was too late. I'm the laughing stock of the talent show. (sighs) Who invited him? I hear as I walk into her backyard. I mind my business and find a seat. Why did I come? I knew we weren't good for one another. The constant arguing, the tears, the apologies, but then again, we understand each other. 
We're complete opposites, but that's what makes us so great. I had to talk to her. I met her in elementary. Every single guy had a crush on her, and every single guy wanted to be with her. We never talked, but we knew of each other through mutual friends. We only really said hi every once in a blue moon. Going into middle school, though, it was a whole different story. We got to know each other from being in the same classes. She became my best friend, and I was hers. Although we were only best friends, I always felt something more. All throughout middle school, I kept on trying to be something more. But she always rejected me. She only saw me as her best friend, nothing else. After so long, I got tired of waiting for her, even though I knew she was my soulmate. I moved on. We stopped talking after middle school. I found someone new and was happy for a while, but I never forgot her. A while later, when nothing else worked out, I started to talk to her again in hopes of rekindling our friendship, and I did just that. I took her to a friend's sweet 16 and made sure she had a blast. We had a great time, danced, and drank the whole night. When I dropped her off at her house, we said our goodbyes. She started to walk away, but I called her back and pulled her in by her hips. And kissed her. That kiss was everything I hoped for. She was everything I ever hoped for. But all good things must come to an end, I guess. That can't be the end, though. I know she still cares, right? I anxiously look around the backyard for her or any sign that she's almost here. Nothing. It's not too late for me to go, I think to myself for the 27th time. After a few weeks, things got rocky. As they inevitably do. I just didn't expect it to end the way it ended. I didn't eat for weeks. I isolated myself from everyone, friends, and family. I couldn't sleep. I had no motivation for school or work. I wanted to end it all. I was close, too. What was my life without her? Nothing. I just didn't understand it. We were getting better. We were working on getting better together. But then she left, like it. Like nothing. So, when her sister invited me to the birthday party, I knew I had to try one last time. I prayed for a chance like this, and I got it. I called my friend Brian immediately and told him about it. We talked for a good hour. Bro, just be confident, don't lose hope. End of the day, God's will. If it's meant to be, then it's meant to be. We're meant to be, right? I promise to do things right this time, I said in front of the mirror in the days leading up to the party. No, that's stupid. I miss us, I try. No, I can't say that. What am I doing? What do I say? I don't know. Surprise! Everyone yells. She's here. Time freezes as she walks in with that beautiful smile. She's wearing a blue dress that matches her eye color. It's that same blue dress she wore the day we had our first kiss. Seeing her only made me think about how every memory we had together. The one memory that kept on playing in my head was the day before she left. I took her to Six Flags with my family, and we had the time of our lives. She feared almost every ride, especially the Superman roller coaster. She cried while on it, and I made fun of her. We had so much fun that day. She sang hi to everyone. I'm last to be noticed, and that's sort of how I want it. Maybe I'll have a chance to talk to her alone for a minute, if I'm last. I sulked to the back, 
waiting for my chance. She doesn't even know I'm here yet. What is she going to think? Is she going to kick me out? Everyone else is already questioning what I'm doing here. What if she does the same? Is it too late to leave? She looks in my direction, and her face goes from pure joy to pure confusion. Oh, no, I think. She doesn't look happy. I try to give her a smile. What are you doing here? She asked. Her voice changed with bitterness. I came to talk to you, to figure out what happened between us, I reply. My heart racing. Everyone is staring. I told Brian this was a bad idea. I can't give two shits about God's will. I should have listened to myself. She doesn't want to talk. This is her day and I'm here making it about us. What am I doing? Her face softens for a moment, but then she shakes her head. It's too late for that, she says, turning away from me. I feel a knot form in my stomach as I watch her walk away. I grab the modello on the table and chug it, regretting everything, but especially coming here. I thought drinking would help me shake off the feeling of disappointment and regret, but it doesn't. I'd hoped that seeing her again would reignite the spark between us, but instead, it only heightened the distance between us. And now, the drinking is somehow making it ache even worse. My thoughts keep drifting back to her. I know that I had messed up and lost something special, and now it seems like there was no way to fix it. I gotta get out of here. Screw this. Just as I'm about to leave, she appears in front of me, looking hesitant. Can we talk? She asks softly. My heart leaps with hope. As I nod eagerly, we go outside and sit on her doorstep to talk. Is this it? Is she? I've thought a lot about what happened between us, she says. I fight the urge to stop her from talking by kissing her, but I can't move my body. And I've come to realize that, she says. This is it, the moment I came for? We're just not right for each other, she says. I feel a wave of disappointment wash over me. But I try to keep my composure. I can't embarrass myself even more. I understand, I say evenly, even though it hurts to hear, and I want to punch a wall to relieve my anger. But I don't want things to be awkward between us, she continues. I value your friendship and hope we can still be friends. My heart sinks. Friends? Woo! The hope that had swelled up inside me moments before was fading away. I try to keep a brave face and I nod, telling her I understand. I don't want to make things even more awkward between us. But it hurts so bad. After we part ways, I find myself wandering aimlessly around the party, trying to process my emotions. I feel angry, confused, and sad all at the same time. Part of me wants to confront her and demand an explanation for why things couldn't work out. But another part of me knows that it's pointless. We are simply not meant to be together, and no amount of arguing or pleading could change that. As I'm lost in thought, I suddenly feel a tap on my shoulder. It's her sister. Hey, can we talk for a second? She asks. Her tone's serious. While taking a deep breath, she says, I know things didn't work out between you and my sister, but I wanted to tell you something. I think she still has feelings for you. What do you mean? I ask, trying to keep my voice steady. She's been really down since you broke up, her sister continues, 
and she's been talking about you a lot. I don't think she knows how to move on, and I think she still loves you. Before I can say anything, her sister keeps going. Look, I know this is a lot to process, she says. I just wanted to let you know how she's feeling. Whatever you do is up to you. Just know, I want you both to be happy. After she leaves, I feel an urgency to go find her. I still have a chance. I can do this. I just have to say the right thing. Show her we're soulmates. I find her talking to her friends and pull her aside asking if we could talk again. She hesitates before nodding. We step outside again and I take a deep breath. I know things ended badly between us, I say, looking her in the eye. But I still have feelings for you. And after what your sister just told me, I can't help but wonder if maybe there's still a chance for us. She looks surprised and a little guarded. What are you saying? She asks. I'm saying that I want to try again, I say, feeling a sense of determination rising within me. I know that we've had our issues in the past, but I believe that we can work through them. If you're willing to give me another chance, I promise to do everything in my power to make things right between us. She stares at me for a long moment, her expression unreadable. I feel my heart pounding in my chest as I wait for her response. I don't know, she finally says, her voice soft. I mean, I still have feelings for you too, but I don't know if I can trust you again. You hurt me pretty badly. I know, I said, feeling guilty. And I'm sorry. I know that I messed up before. But I promise that things will be different this time. I'll do whatever it takes to make things right between us. She sighed and looked down at her feet. I just don't want to get hurt again, she says. I can't go through that again. The truth is, I really did hurt her. When we were together, my previous ex wanted to be friends again. But I should have known she wanted more than that. I hung out with her when I wasn't supposed to. I lied about it and I hooked up with her even though I was the happiest I'd ever been in my life. I came clean thinking it would help me get rid of my guilty conscience. But things were never the same after that. There was a loss of trust and I could never get back no matter what I did. I screwed up and I regretted it every day since. The fact was, this was really all my fault. I understand, I say reaching out to take her hand. But I swear that I'll never hurt you again. I love you too much to let that happen. She looks up at me then, her eyes searching for mine. For a long moment, we just stand there, holding each other's gaze. And then, unexpectedly, she pulls away. I'm sorry, she says, her voice barely above a whisper. I can't do this. I can't take that risk again. <sighs> I feel my heart drop as I watch her walk away, her figure disappearing into the darkness. I stand here for a long moment, trying to process what had just happened. I had come to the party, hoping for a chance to reconcile with her. But instead, I'd only ended up hurting her more. As I make my way back to the party, I feel an even deeper sense of emptiness inside me. I had hoped for so much, only to be left with nothing. I really couldn't fix this, but I knew that I had to accept her decision. 
no matter how much it hurt. And so, with a heavy heart, I said my goodbyes to her sister and to her. I said one more, I'm sorry. I regret the night I went to her birthday party, but I also regret much more than that. Wow. wow, that was amazing. DJ, I would love to mention that your story was amazing and caught my attention from the start, especially the way in which you were called back to moments that occurred from fifth grade or even weeks before you even attended the birthday party. In your piece, you mentioned the word regret a couple of times, and regret is a theme in both of the stories on this episode which is even titled Regretfully Yours. Many people swear by the saying that says everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. Now that you have some hindsight, do you think this is the case in your situation? As of right now, was the breakup for the best or would you go back in time and try to make things different? Um, to be honest, considering <laughs> on how much it has like, caused me pain, oh. I don't... I don't think I would and try to change everything. I think um, I was meant to learn from this lesson. All right. Um, I did really enjoy uh, reading your story, um, listening to your story. And you did go back and forth a lot, but for some reason, it really was easy to follow. Um, so you opened the story with the scene where you're entering a party and there are eyes on you. And you use this detail to bring us back to the scene of your fifth grade talent show. And I feel like all of your braids are really powerful and that you do them really seamlessly. These were braids that gave us character development, context, and also provided some of my favorite details from the story. Um, some being moonwalking to Billie Jean and the Six Flags trip. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> yeah. So my question to you is, how did you sort through all these memories you had with her and end up on the ones you included in the piece? Like, was it all the ones that were like stood out to you or emotional or even a technical level? Did you feel like these were the ones with the best details? I, I, I do think that they were the ones with the best details. Um, thinking about all the memories that I had with her, it, it, was, it was really hard to choose from, okay, I want to talk about this, but I want to talk about that. So I actually did spend maybe a few hours before writing the piece or or before Professor Mordozo um, helped me pick it out. Just really thinking about, do I want the story to be out in the world? And I thought it was time. Since, since I um, make music every now and then as a form of therapy, yeah. I actually relate my music to her. And, and, and just, um, I mean, if you, if you listen to the music, it wouldn't be so off. Maybe two songs. <laughs> But the third song, not so much awe. Um, I just, I just, I don't know. She, she, she really uh, had an impact in my life. So just thinking about writing this came seamlessly to me. That's really interesting. So was it an idea for a song that sort of inspired this piece or the other way it around? Was, it was a song that, that helped me um to write this piece i i'm actually so writing the song like i i had i had the idea of okay i can talk about the night i went to her birthday party and talk about everything that happened 
And when it was time to write this uh, micro essay, I knew, okay, I can, I can talk about this easily since it was still fresh in my mind. And like I said, I'm still working on the song. I, I, I don't have all the, all the right uh, lyrics for it yet, but once I do, I think it could be one of my best ones yet. Yeah, we gotta hear this song now. We we need to put the song on the podcast. That should be like like our like our intro into the story or something. Yeah. Tell us what it is. Our listeners might our because because listeners are gonna hear this too. You gotta you gotta self promote here. It, it's um she loves you loves you not by Big C B K on Spotify or Apple Music. Okay, okay. So now our listeners know where to find it. Thank you. Thanks, hey. TJ. And it's also really cool to know that this started off as a micro essay, as I feel many of our pieces do. Right. It was a micro essay, then it turned to a workshop essay. And there were no braids in the, the first one. Like, I know Lindsay just asked about braids. There were no braids in the first couple drafts. Those got added later. Right, DJ? Um, yeah. Okay. So, DJ, speaking of uh, sort of more of the technical side of writing, um, one of the things that we talk about when we talk about writing creative nonfiction is writing what is true and what is honest. And oftentimes that means writing vulnerable pieces. And I saw vulnerability in your writing. And I think it's easy to write ourselves as the good guy in our stories and the hero. But it's like a whole different ballgame to start to think of ourselves as flawed and to take responsibility for our actions. So I think it does say a lot about you that you're able to admit that you messed up here. And with all of that, I'm curious to hear more about your process with this. So first, whether being vulnerable in your piece was easy for you to do, and then any advice you might have for other writers who are struggling to like open up in their work. Oh, definitely. I, 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 I struggled so much to, to come to terms with um, ending the story off with being a good guy or ending it off with being a bad guy. And, and, um, while writing this piece, I, I, I did have to think a lot on my own part since, since at first, I always thought about the story of just, well, okay, she didn't take me back and, and I was completely heartbroken, but then, you know, talking to a few friends about the situation made me realize, you know, I was actually in the wrong. And although I had to admit, you know, I did mess up and, and, and there is no going back. And to other writers, it's, it is a, a hard process at first, but maybe talking about it and, and letting someone else know the entire story, maybe that can help you come to terms with being vulnerable and, and, and being open in your own story. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, because DJ, you were your first versions of this were a little vague, remember? And then we were like about what actually happened. And like you were like, Yeah, you were including dialogue, like it'll be different this time, blah blah, you know. And we were like, What did you <laughs> do? <laughs> remember? <laughs> yeah, I remember. You're like, well. Yeah, I, I... Yeah, uh, to be honest, it, it was the professor who 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 uh, made me um, open up on, <laughs> on, on what really happened. 
like what really happened at, and listen dj there was a plot point missing and i was just like trying to fit <laughs> in the story but you know you know our workshop class you know they would have brought it up very true yeah. it always comes <laughs> out in <of> workshop <laughs> but i do think that this is the honest way to tell this story because i don't think that people are black and white you're not a good person or a bad person there's a lot more nuance in situations and i think that you capture that well here yeah, I think it's a you. great story. Yeah. I really didn't expect it to take that turn. <laughs> uh, but um it was it was really vulnerable and good for you for continuing to use like music as an outlet to keep telling your story. Mm-hmm. I am yeah, I actually loved nice. your story. I loved how like vulnerable you were. And I have to say that my favorite part was probably the Michael Jackson. I think that's definitely one of my favorites. Like the white glove, I could totally picture it and see it. Um, I really just loved your story. Um, if anything, what would you like listeners to take away from this, to take away from your experience? Uh, first off, let me just quickly say, I actually redid the Michael Jackson performance, but this time with my sister. Wow. It was her uh, week 16 on uh this past saturday actually it was a sweet 16 and i did not mess up this time <laughs> everything was on point my my energy was on point i was i was so excited after it finished i, I hugged her afterwards um and um uh what i would want readers to take away is just truly be honest with yourself but don't don't ever feel like you can't open up to the world because if you ever put yourself in this bubble, it's a hard bubble to get out of. No matter how hard you try, you're going to struggle to get out of that bubble. But once you do get out of that bubble, you'll see that the world has many different opportunities to come. We're so glad to hear that you feel that way. And with that, we want to thank you again for coming in tonight, for chatting with us a little more, and for shedding some extra light on your piece. Thank you, you are so, so much. Welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. It was great having you. This story is by a new author to the podcast named Catherine Hunter. Katherine Hunter is a senior at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, graduating this spring. She majored in culture, crime, and deviant studies, but has found her passions in the arts. Always an avid writer, she chose to take the creative nonfiction writing course offered at John Jay for the sheer enjoyment and curiosity as to what creative nonfiction really was. In it, she found a new love for both the craft of memoir writing and literary journalism, Post-grad, she plans on continuing with these crafts as well as continuing with her first loves, poetry and playwriting. Her one act will be featured this October in the New York Winterfest Theater Festival, and she will be working to promote arts education for all this summer at her education program fellowship at Little Island. A warning that this story touches on very sensitive topics that may be difficult to hear. Listener discretion is advised. With that, let's take a listen to Katie's piece entitled, If I. If I ask him if he would like to meet up for a first date, he will pick me up in his car on one of those early summer days that demands to be felt. 
He'll drive me to what will become our favorite hiking spot, the place we'll go to when we want to pretend that nobody else exists. The top will be down on his 1996 red Jeep that he calls Daisy, and the sun will shine so warmly on my skin that I'll worry about it burning. Eventually, though, I will turn my chin up toward the sky in order to soak more of it in, not caring about whatever future wrinkles may come. Things will be awkward at first. A tight knot will sit at the base of my spine. But his dog is in the car, a black lab named Henry. Every time I start to feel nervous, I turn back to pet him. He tells me all about how he got Henry. The plane ride, the brother, the first time he held him in his arms. I say something funny, and in a moment, a smile stretches across his face. There's something about his eyes, a color I can't quite make out and possibly never will, but a warmness to them that all of a sudden in his smile, I know that I will never feel nervous around him again. We spend the whole day together laughing and sharing with one another little pieces of ourselves. He was a jock in high school, but ended up being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes his junior year and afterwards turned to writing. I also was an athlete and had turned to theater when I blew my right knee out my sophomore year. He throws his head back in laughter when I tell him my first thought after tearing my ACL was how grateful I was that I didn't have to run the mile in PE anymore. After he has driven me home, there is a moment we will stand outside of his car and I fear that he won't kiss me. I fear this so much, in fact, that before I can even recognize what I am doing, my arms will have been thrown around his neck and my lips will settle deeply into his. When we pull away and say our goodbyes, I will rush into the safety of my home away from my emboldened act. I will look in the mirror and be unable to tell if my cheeks have burned a little from the sun or if they are still flushed with the thought of his lips upon mine. I will decide that perhaps it is both. If I go to his house for our second date, he will be standing in the kitchen stirring the pasta as the soft afternoon light falls gently through the window onto the wooden countertops. A glass of white wine will be sitting waiting for me, a quiet whisper of jazz playing from the TV that accompanies the room next to us, and most importantly, a vase of red roses will stand proudly at the center of the kitchen table. No boy had ever bought me flowers at this point, so I do not dare mention them at first for fear that they will prove to be an apparition that disappears the moment I dare to speak of them. I will question for a moment if they are even intended for me, but he looks up at me after I've taken my place beside him and asks me if I don't like them. He tells me that he's sorry he didn't know what kind I liked, but that if I tell him, he'll buy me the right ones next time. I will rush to tell him not to apologize, the words escape so hurriedly as I try to explain that they're the most beautiful flowers I've ever seen. It's just that no one has ever given me flowers before. He will kiss my blushing cheeks and tell me that he will always buy me flowers, red roses if I want him to. I so desperately do. If I tell him that I would love to go to the drive-in movies, he will tell me to pick any movie I want and he'll get the snacks. When he pulls up in Daisy, he will tell me how beautiful I look, offering me the hair tie I left in his car the last time so that my hair does not get ruined from the wind since the top is down. The back seat is full of all of the candy I like, proof of how well he listens and cares. He's brought blankets for us to snuggle up in as well, though by the time we settled in, I could care less about the movie we're watching. All that I can focus on is the way my head fits so perfectly into his chest. I close my eyes to feel the way his chest moves up and down with each intake of air. His heart beats slowly in my left ear, ricocheting around my skull. For a moment, I swear my heart is beating at the exact same time as his. 
If I ask him if he is still going to pick me up for our fourth date, a picnic by the lake, I will be chastised for expecting him to drive me around all the time and told that he does not feel appreciated for all the things he has done for me. I will plead with him to forgive me because I think this is all one big misunderstanding. I am so grateful for him and, and all that he does for me, and I'm so sorry if I haven't done a good enough job for showing him that. Graciously, he forgives me. If I wonder out loud if he would like to meet my siblings, he will suggest that we spend the whole day in San Francisco with my sister. My brother will come too, and he will sit beneath a southern magnolia tree whose arms fall perfectly so that we are well shaded. The city sits vast and far beneath us as we sit perched on a hill drinking wine, reading books, and trying to get Henry to stop eating the blades of grass that sit beneath our feet. My brother, who is impartial to everyone I've expressed romantic interest in, will tell me that he likes him, and my sister will comment on how well we look when our arms are enfolded in one another. When we finally return home to Sacramento, he will tell me he loves me. He will preface that he knows it's early in the relationship and he doesn't want to scare me, but that he just knows that it's love. I will take him in my arms and I tell him that he need not fear for how early it is. I love him too. And God, do I really do. If I ask for one night to hang out with my mom instead of going to his place, I will be yelled at for flaking on our plans. If I really loved him, then I would want to spend every single second I had with him before moving back to New York. I will tell him that he is being ridiculous and that I love him more than the world. He will tell me that if that were true, I wouldn't leave him. For a moment, I can almost hear the words, I will not go then, but they catch in my throat. Something deep within me tells me that no matter what I do, I cannot stay here. If I'm lying in bed on the phone with him, telling how much pain I am in, doubled over with cramps, he will show up to my house with two bouquet of roses. One is red for me, and the other is pink for my mother. He will leave them on the doorstep, amongst a few of my other favorite things, sour candy, chocolate-covered peanut butter cups, and chocolate-covered marshmallows. With them will be a note in which he apologizes for how much pain I am in, how much he loves me, and how much he hopes all of these gifts will make me feel better. I sob at how lucky I am to have someone so thoughtful and kind who takes care of me the way he does. If I tell him that I would love to visit Monterey before I go back to New York, he will plan everything so that we have the perfect getaway. A weekend away tucked safely behind a cove of eucalyptus trees in a small cottage painted a light shade of pink. His parents will come and join us after a day. He tells me how much they've fallen in love with me as well. But for the first morning, we wake up in each other's arms, and there is no one else that exists in the world. We lay in bed all morning, the soft light that finally peeks through the gentle fog, illuminating the chess pieces of our unsuccessfully finished game, strewn about the bed, and our limbs entangled in such a way you cannot see who ends and who begins. He suggests we play a game where we give one another a category of song. Your favorite song to cry to, or... The song that makes you think of me most. I love watching his face light up when I've played a song that he loves as well. If I'm texting him while I'm babysitting the two neighborhood boys and I tease him about something I forgot he was sensitive about, I will receive a slew of phone calls in which he demands that I explain myself. I will tell him that I'm playing Monopoly and cannot step away from the boys or else they will think something is wrong. I fail to see at this moment that something is terribly wrong. 
I will receive text after text until I leave that evening and find him waiting for me in the driveway of my home. He will spend the next hour yelling at me in his car, not just about the joke, but about every bad joke that I've made at his expense. He will accuse me of being tasteless and crass. And through my tears, I will apologize over and over again about the things that I have said because I really never meant to hurt his feelings. I was just trying to be funny. I'm always trying to be funny. I thought he liked that I was funny. If I told him that he wants me to hang out with a group of friends that he's recently made, I will go with him all the way to our favorite brewery and meet them. And if I leave his side at this brewery to go talk to one of said friends who seems really nice and has her master's in a field I'm currently interested in, I will be yelled at. If I have one more beer at this brewery, even though he told me I shouldn't, I will be yelled at. If I smoke a cigarette after the really nice girl offers me one and he tells me not to smoke it and takes it from me, stomping it into the ground, I will be yelled at. If I don't immediately go to the car with him when he tells me that he wants to leave because I'm having fun with his friends, I will be yelled at. If I don't stay up all night with him to make sure that his blood sugar is okay after it dropped a little bit in the car on our way home, I will be yelled at. If I move back to New York, he will throw me a surprise going away party. It is the only surprise party anyone has ever thrown me, and no matter how hard I try, I can't stop the tears from flowing rivers down my face. My whole family is there, his parents and a few of my closest friends. They shower me with going away presents and tell me how much they love me. Tears cascade down their cheeks as well as they tell me how much they will miss me. When he pulls me to the side and gives me my present, I cannot help but gasp at its perfection. A Polaroid camera, one that I mentioned on our second date having wanted for years, in the perfect shade of salmon that is my favorite color in the whole entire world. I tell him how much I love it and he tells me how much he knew I would. He is the first thing I take a photo of. If I move back to New York, he will send me roses and buy me lunch for every small or large achievement that comes my way. He will FaceTime me every night for hours to tell me how much he loves and misses me. And if I ask that we don't FaceTime for hours every single night because between school, my job, and him, I'm not getting any of my work done and I'm falling behind in my classes, I will be yelled at. If I dye a small section of my hair a different color while I'm away, I will be yelled at. If I watch a movie by myself instead of on FaceTime with him, I will be yelled at. If I tell him I want to adopt a cat and it's too close to when he's visiting and he thinks I'll give it more attention than him, I will be yelled at. If I don't throw myself at him ready to have sex with him within the first five minutes he's gotten to my apartment after flying to come visit me, I will be yelled at. If I try to push him off of me and end up hitting him because I told him not to do something while we have sex and he did it anyway, I will be yelled at. If I don't have sex with him, I will be yelled at. If I watch him leave from New York and I don't go to the airport with him to sob my eyes out about how much I will miss him, I will be yelled at. If a few weeks later I get too drunk with my friends one night, black out, and forget to text him goodnight, I will be yelled at. If I don't respond to his 42 text messages, 18 missed calls, and 5 Instagram messages immediately after I wake up the next day, I will be yelled at. If I tell him that I am tired of being yelled at, I will be yelled at. If I tell him that I'm so tired of being yelled at and that I don't want to be with him anymore, if that's all he's going to do, he will tell me that he is going to kill himself. And if I tell him that I'm going to have to contact one of his parents 
to tell them what he told me, he will beg me not to and tell me that he is fine and hang up the phone. And if I call his father and I tell him what he told me, his father will tell me that he is no longer there. He left the house in his car a minute ago. His mother will then get on the phone to ask me what happened. I will try my best to tell her that it is all my fault her son is going to kill himself, but the heaving sobs continue to push the words back down my throat. She tells me that it isn't my fault, but even her sobs are making it hard to understand her as well. And if I call my mom to tell her everything that is going on, she will also tell me that none of this is my fault. And while I know that something is very wrong with what he's doing, I cannot see how I am blameless. If I sit in my bed 3,000 miles away from it all, I will only be able to imagine the phone call that I will get telling me that he is dead. I will cry so hard it feels as though my temples are trying to push their way out of my skull. It will feel as though the eternity has stretched farther than ever thought imaginable as nobody is able to find him. He will refuse to answer anybody's calls. He will Venmo me $2,000, all the money he has saved. If I call again and again, sobbing into the voicemails and explaining to him that I didn't mean it, I will repeat myself to no one but the empty box that holds my voice about how much I love him and need him in my life. I will tell him that if he doesn't do it, I will marry him and we will have our little home in Oregon and our four daughters together, just like we always dreamed of. I will be aware at this point, I know that none of this is true, but I will say anything if it means that he will not hurt himself and I will not be responsible for one less brother and son in this world. If I can finally get a call back from him, he will tell me that he is driving to the hospital. He will have actually tried but now tells me that he is hurrying to get help because he heard me say I love him and that's what saved him. He will begin to cry and tell me how much he loves me and that he really didn't mean to scare me. He will tell me that if it wasn't me trying to break up with him that made him do it, he just has been going through so much lately and it's been really hard for him having me live so far away. He will talk about how maybe after he's feeling better he can come visit and see me again. Maybe he can even move to New York and live with me after he finishes school in May. If I don't agree, I'm afraid that he will do all of this again. So I will promise him that all of this will come true. The words will be heavy and taste bitter on my tongue, but I will continue anyway because I just need him to make it to a place where I know he will not try to hurt himself again. I will tell myself that it is okay to lie to him. It will be the first time that I do so, and I justify it by telling myself that the truth has served me no better so far. If I know that he is safe in the hospital, and his parents know where he is, and my mom has talked to me long enough that I feel like maybe I won't only see his face when I close my eyes tonight, I will finally lay my head to rest on my pillow. I will hold on so tightly to my stuffed sloth, I will fear that even in its inanimate state, it won't be able to breathe so I loosen my grip. As I will try to slowly unravel all that has happened within the last two hours of my life, I cannot help but feel as though my heart were laying in a liquid pool inside my chest. And if I think about it all now, which I try not to, I will find myself thinking about these memories and wishing that I hadn't. I will start writing it all down and wishing that I hadn't even started writing. I will think about that day, my chin upwards to the sun, Henry sitting in the back seat, and the ways his eyes glimmered a little bit when he smiled, and wished I had never even met him. Wow. Oh
Wow, that was amazing. Yeah. Well, Katie, what a beautiful, beautiful piece. And we are so excited to talk to you more about it today. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, before we get into the interview, we want to acknowledge that stories that touch on intimate partner violence can affect folks in unexpected ways. So to help process this, we want to give some resources. Love is Respect is a national organization that offers a free confidential hotline, and it operates 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And they offer confidential support for teens, young adults, and loved ones who are seeking any help or information related to healthy relationships or dating abuse in the United States. And advocates are trained on issues related to dating abuse and healthy relationships, as well as crisis intervention. Their website is www.loveisrespect.org. And you can also call 1-866-331-9474 or text LOVEIS to 22522. Another option for the same topic is the Domestic Violence Hotline, which is another national hotline. And their website is www.thehotline.org. And their phone is 1-800-799-7233. Or you can text START to 88788. Thank you for that, Sophia. Um, we always just want to make sure that people have a place to turn to. And to get into the interview portion of this, Katie, uh, to start, I admired the way in which you structured your story. It was so mm -hmm. like artful, but also uh, precise and intentional. And the repetition brings a unique form of storytelling to the podcast. And I wanted to ask, was the use of if I implemented for the sake of the audience or was it kind of your own piecing or like uh, going through the memories yourself? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I What's interesting is like this piece actually started off uh, just as a poem and it was just every single instance that I remembered um, of being yelled at, literally. So I just, the whole entire poem was just, if I, what would happen? And then I will be yelled at. And so it was completely different. There was no good memories or, or anything. It was just the whole entire, it was just like that repetition of like, if I, then I will be yelled at. And it wasn't until I started working on it in this class that professor kind of suggested like, well, you know, as, as painful as it is, like there, there has to be good memories because you don't get into these thinking like, well, you know, like it's bad immediately and now I'm stuck. Yeah. Like you, you kind of are gently lowered into these situations mm -hmm. and stuff. So I had to go back and I just, I took, I wanted to keep if I, um, cause I felt like it was really important to keep the structure of like, if I do anything, then I will be yelled at. Um, and I also, I kind of I don't know if anyone ever noticed this but I also when it was something that I was being yelled at for I always said like if I do this then I will be yelled at and anytime it was something that he did was nice I would say if I do this then he will do this for me because it was always like my fault when things were really bad and his, like he was always so nice to me he was always doing these wonderful things 
and stuff. So I felt like the structure just kind of had to stay in that format um, because that's just what it felt like. If I did anything, then I would be, then I would suffer the consequences for it. I would be yelled at or this thing would come from it. And I just felt like it was a really nice through line as well to kind of just carry through instead of just saying like, oh, in this memory, in this memory, it was like, mm -hmm. if I, this is what happened. Yeah. It's almost like this, like reciting of like a set of rules for yourself for you to remember, and which like sounds really like sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes you mad, but it is the kind of thing that when you look at memories, especially with someone who unkind isn't even like the beginning of it, it is like a. It, it's it's like you don't realize how much policing you do of yourself because mm -hmm. you feel like you are a criminal for for yeah. better term. There's, there's nothing I can do I can't win and I think I actually in the original poem the ending line was something where it was just like if I move if I breathe if I whisper if I talk if I sing if I laugh if I like it was just a thing after thing after thing of just like everything we do during the day and I was like then I will be yelled at because that's just what it felt like I couldn't do anything at all without suffering like a consequence for it incredible incredible seeing thank you for that additional like layer of analysis to it because now it reads so much like oof. It's like richer, but like it's gross. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. it, it just reads more full. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, Katie. So I enjoyed your story so much. Um, just by reading the first paragraph, I was able to like you fully captured this essence of childhood um wonder that mm -hmm. comes with um, you know, your first date um and relationships and all that, specifically when you say um, those early summer days that demand to be felt. Um, I think this quote touches on the instinct we have to chase like the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. um, and with first days, I feel like most of us, um, we're so naive, we're so innocent. We have like this curiosity, this romantic um, lens put on it that we hope to get the most out of it. And yet, um, it's through this like romantic lens that it serves as a catalyst to for for life's greatest pains and biggest lessons, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, Katie, if you could go um back to that very same um moment in summer, what would you say to her? You know, um, um, would you warn yourself or would you put like a big red sign on his face? Like, would you would you take that phone away from from her and put like a big red sign in his contact? and say like no like get away from him yeah I mean um, it's funny like immediately my first thought is like uh get out like <laughs> what do you what do you say to someone who's about to like be in the worst thing that's ever happened to them um and I always I don't know I always struggle I had someone ask me um about this like on a date I think like a couple months Ooh. after yeah like everything had happened like not about this specific situation but like if you could go back and redo this whole year would you and I've always found it like so incredibly frustrating because on the one hand I never want to say that like someone's trauma is is what made them who they are you know like that you have to go through these horrible things just so you can be 
this better version of yourself. Um, but I think that, you know, like in, in some ways, like I always think, you know, I could have been in a worse situation, you know, like now I am much better able at seeing the signs of this. And I, and I worry for the version of myself who maybe didn't get to be with him and ended up with someone who's even worse than him. Or like I had the luck of when we had met, like he knew I was moving to New York and that, and that was always like the set thing. And thankfully he never, you know, he didn't really push me staying too much, even though it came up like here and there. And I, I am constantly filled with the fear of the version of myself who never moved because I think that was like the biggest thing was we were so far apart that I was able to say like it's it's really done it's over and I didn't have to fear being in the same city as him I didn't have to fear like having to deal with his family or, or having him like come to my house or anything like that so it was like this really huge relief of like okay like at least I am safe. At least it was a point in my life where I could just do it and then not have to worry about it. Um, but I, and I also think there's, there's been some privileges in it. Like I told someone uh, kind of about it and they were like, well, did you like really learn anything? And I was like, I, I kind of learned not who I am, but that I'm not willing to let people tell me who I'm not, you know? Ooh. Wow. Yeah, like I find now like if I'm in a space and someone oh you can't do this or you're not able you you aren't this or they try to tell me who I am oh you're this you're this you're this no I'm not you don't know me I had to yeah you, you have you have to like learn after all of it because like what the person does is they change your view not just of the world but of yourself they try to manipulate things they try to you know like that one part that I wrote about like him getting upset with me not being like grateful and me like no 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 like I am grateful like what do you mean you just kind of have to learn like after everything's said and done that like you were given a narrative of yourself that's not true and now mm -hmm. like, yeah now that I've like can uh, now that I'm a little separate I can like look back on it I think that there's just not really a reality in which someone can tell me something about myself that I don't say like nope that's not true or yeah maybe that's true but who cares like I'm not perfect like <laughs> so that's yeah there's there's it's always like very conflicting I never want to say like yeah it was fantastic <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that I like am still having anxiety about it now um but I think that it could as all things could it could have been a hundred percent worse and it, I could have lost so much more from it and I I think that I'm just happy that I am able to see the warning signs now and and can kind of protect myself a little bit better so it's nuanced yeah it's <laughs> as most things in life are unfortunately <laughs> uh, and Katie your story really resonated with me personally um, because I was in a similar relationship for four years and I think that um, your writing is so poetic and I it really came full circle for me when you said it started as a poem mm -hmm. um, but I think that um, it really serves the story um, because when you're in it you don't really realize that um, 
this like from like now that you said you have hindsight and like other people hearing it from an outside perspective are like why don't you just leave I would have left and it's like it's so easy to say that when you don't understand the cycle of abuse and you don't understand how codependency works um and I think that um you really um captured the essence of that with your poetic um story like the one particular line in the beginning uh you said I will look in the mirror and be unable to tell if my cheeks have burned a little from the sun or if they are still flushed from, um, with the thought of his lips upon mine. And I like initially you read it and you're like, wow, this is a beautiful story about love. Mm-hmm. And it slowly unfolds and um, it becomes um, much deeper and like sinister, honestly. Um, so I mm-hmm. think that um, when you're in it and you're... Um, kind of under that kind of spell you don't realize how bad it is oh. um, and then once you have that hindsight it becomes reality and you're like wow this is really um much darker uh, mm-hmm. that I feel helps to educate people who don't understand those uh, ignorant people who are just like oh well you put up with it like you tolerated it you you could have left yeah um, so what advice would you offer to other young people in that same situation? Like what warning signs would you offer? Like, yeah, that's a, that's a hard one. I really appreciate, I mean, one, just you opening up and and sharing that, but also like what you said of like, just being able to resonate with it, because I think like I told um, professor that like after uh, we had done the feedback letter after I had gotten all all the feedback and I had been really nervous not not only because like I'm just so like critical of my own writing I think everyone's gonna yeah. read it and, like, hate it and like, <laughs> like you should really like not do that and I'm like okay yeah sure. um but I but I also yeah like the same sort of thing like the same feeling of like if you haven't been through it you really don't understand it and I, I, I like went home after we had done the feedback letter and I just had like a really good cry for like 30 minutes because I felt so relieved that people had read it and understood. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't feel like I was defending myself anymore. I didn't feel yeah. like, like, no, no, this is like, I was abused. This is because I, yeah. even there was like an original version two of this that was like very very different but it was like I had just written a few of the good moments and then a few of the bad and had given it to someone else to read and I don't think she quite understood she made a comment where she said oh your boyfriend seems so great oh oh oh, yeah and I just like oh my god like my right yeah into my stomach and I was like oh my god no because and you know like it was during class like the amount of people it was like there were a few who had also kind of gone through the same situation um and like yeah they felt that connection right away like that first line where I say um like about me not being grateful and trying to apologize like they told me they were like yeah that immediately was like the red flag like I knew this was going but a lot of people didn't. A lot of people kept reading it and were like, that was kind of a weird thing to say, but oh, look, he's doing something nice again. Like, that's so great. Yeah, like, it's all part of the cycle of abuse. Yeah, and, I, and that's it. Like, no one ever thinks that they are being abused 
even mm-hmm. while it's actively happening. Mm-hmm. And I also come from a really weird background. My mother is a therapist and my dad is a psychologist. So they arguably should also have known and seen the signs and right. they loved him. They thought he was incredible because he was. He mm-hmm. got I mean there were there were so many other incredible moments that I could have said like he ended up selling that um, Jeep and buying a nicer car so we could go on trips together and we would drive to Oregon and he met like all of my extended family and he bought me so many nice things and told me how much he like cares and listens and you know it was you just don't recognize it until like after that like I was talking to another friend too of the way that like when the signs of abuse do start to show it's never obvious people think that like they're gonna tell you that you're just stupid right to your face or they're right. gonna say something really mean like oh if a, if someone if my partner ever said something so mean to me then I yeah like I would leave I would have reacted in a different yeah, way I, I would yeah I wouldn't I'm have built different for that yeah, yeah. <laughs> if he's gonna tell me what to wear or if he's gonna tell me who I can and can't hang out with sort of thing like I I won't take that I'll leave yeah I I would never and it's like it's not it's not as obvious as that for him I maybe in another version I'll touch on it a little bit more but I mentioned he got uh type 1 diabetes in high school and that was something that he like really weaponized a lot was like this idea that he needed someone to like kind of take care of him or that I didn't fully ever understand him because he had a chronic illness and like I said like we'd be in social situations hanging out I'd be hanging out with someone else more than I was with him and all of a sudden we had to go home because his blood sugar was dropping or you know like there are just so many moments where like looking back on it it's so hard to try to understand like what was real and what wasn't what was an emergency and what was him just trying to like play this up so that I would like feel really bad for him so this is the longest way I've ever answered a question I apologize but (laughs) um I, I I don't always know because what's hard is like the signs are so obvious now and when I see other people maybe in situations like it then it's really easy for me to say like hey that's love bombing, that's gaslighting, that's him manipulating you. But it's just really hard because I think even when you know all of these things, like I said, like my parents knew what these things were and they still missed it. Yeah. It's not, it's not so Yeah, it's, it's, no one, no one ever thinks that like they're, they think that it's just this really incredible person that they've met. I mean, we're also told this story of love over and over again that is exactly what he did. He swept me off my feet. He got mm-hmm. me flowers. He did all these incredible, sweet, nice things for me that someone who falls in love with you is supposed to do. It's what we've been taught is the right way to love someone. So it's it's hard to like even say until I, I kind of, I don't know, I was telling friend like in some ways I'm always like a little grateful that he like finally just really showed me like fully just said like yeah I'm gonna do this and I was able to say yeah that's that's abuse because I don't know like if I would have been able to really have seen it like I feel like it wasn't until that moment that I was like that's the sign this is this is like my time to go and thankfully I'm always grateful for the support that I had 
like I said, being in the city, um, just everything was sort of really set up for me to succeed in that, which I know is not always the case for for most people. And I'm really grateful for that. But it's yeah, it's like, I wish that I could just tell every single <laughs> person and yeah. educate them and say like, no, 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 this is right. And this is wrong. But I, I couldn't even do it for myself. And I still feel like sometimes it's so difficult to really see it when it's happening, you know? I just wanted to add that, like, I think, <clears throat> I don't know because everybody's experience is different, but like, I think that there's a danger in saying like, oh, it's not love or it is love. Cause a lot of people are like, no, I'm positive. This is love. Therefore it can't be abuse. Like I yep. wonder if it truly can be both. Like this was this person's version of loving. And mm -hmm. that's not okay. And it doesn't yeah. mean that that person didn't love you. And it doesn't mean that you didn't love them. Maybe like their version is deeply flawed and maybe there's mental illness involved and maybe, but whatever, it, or maybe it never was love. And maybe it, what, there was nefarious yeah. like purpose from the beginning. But I think a lot of people stay because they're like, no, this is love. I know that this person loves me and they might be right. but it doesn't mean that it's okay yeah because right you know like so I I mean you know I'm not trying to give advice to people who may find themselves in this situation but I would want someone to tell younger me you may love this person and they may love you but it doesn't mean that anyone is safe here <laughs> right if the good parts like, don't make up for the abuse and the yeah. like yeah. because I, yeah like what like on that it's it it really is like viewing things very black and white mm -hmm. and like the presence of this means that this doesn't exist mm -hmm. or the presence okay. of this means that this doesn't exist and if this exists it, like if you see goodness then that means you can't see the badness so ignore that part you know yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah because the thing you like is what you're going to latch on to Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, th I think that's also just part of the cycle is like, because things are so good in the beginning, and you're like, yes, this is love, like later on, you're just trying to get back to that place. I think you're you're right, uh, Professor, it's like, it, at the end of the day, like when I look back on it, it I, I'm, I was always trying to like figure out if it was or wasn't, because for some reason, like it felt really personal that I like kind of still needed him to love me. I didn't want to just be like another victim. I wanted him to have actually cared and stuff. And I and I think that like, yeah, now that I'm now that I'm older, I'm just kind of like, it's okay either way. It's okay if he loved me and he just was really bad at it. <laughs> like <laughs> it just how it came out wasn't right. And it's okay if he didn't. And this is just what it is. It it doesn't reflect anything on on me and who I am and stuff. Yeah. So absolutely absolutely yeah um before anything i would just like to say that the story is incredibly powerful touching and eye-opening like just wow honestly right now what has to be one of my favorite stories um especially the way you're analyzing it right now and how you say you still fear just the simple imagination of like oh what if i stayed instead of moving to new york like that was just like really powerful or even explaining how ignorant people can be when they see others in the same situation, because, you know, you really don't know until you go through it yourself. And I feel that 
this piece perfectly exemplifies the phrase, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. And um, lastly, you may have touched upon this before, but what, if anything, would you like listeners to take away from this story? Oh God, that's such a good question. <laughs> I usually always have something on like my little soapbox. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I think the issue is that I'm still figuring it out. Um, this, this all happened in October of 2021. And I think at the time, I just didn't know what to do with it. It just happened. And then I ended up, I mean, I, truthfully, I just kind of ended up going on like a six month bender and was drinking really heavily and doing a lot of crazy things and acting out. And And I had another horrible thing happen to me that February where I'd like been drugged at a bar that I was at and I like almost didn't make it home safe I had like been wandering the subway station completely by myself like and and so like there just had been so many bad things that had happened that I think my brain just sort of turned off and was just in survival mode and just needed to ignore it in the moment if I just needed to like get the things done that I needed to get done so I was actually saying that like I think a part of me writing this for the first time was also me just kind of acknowledging that it happened uh, and for the first time really processing it. And so I don't, I don't even know what I would say to someone else because I don't even think I've figured out what I'm saying to myself. You know, like if I could say something, it'd just be like, uh, just be kind to yourself with everything that happened. None of it was your fault. This person doesn't define you. You are who you are and and stuff. But I, I think I, I think I'm still trying to find my the version of myself um that this happened to and has made their peace with it. And I, I just can't say that I'm exactly there yet. There's still a lot of pieces of me that like are still really kind of broken through it all and I I still am trying to figure it out just <laughs> one word at a time I guess <laughs> like... I appreciate that because this is not a fiction piece it's a creative nonfiction piece and it reflects the reality of the situation and I think that other people who are going through the same things that you are are going to find comfort in the fact that they're not alone in not having everything figured out so yes. I thank you for saying that. It's very courageous and honest. Thank you. And with that, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, Katie, for bringing this story to us and for bringing yourself to us. <laughs> you were wonderful. <laughs> and it's been wonderful to talk to you. Like you, we haven't had an interview that kind of goes this long in a long time. And it really is just like, it was like, it was just a fantastic piece and you were a fantastic person to have had on. So thank you thank so much. You, thank you. I was going to say, I could literally hear myself speak for hours. So thank you for giving me <laughs> the platform to do so. <laughs> I appreciate this even more. Like. <laughs> oh. 
that concludes our second episode of the seventh season. We are all so excited to bring you new stories soon, amplifying these voices from backgrounds you don't normally hear from. You can always find out more at www.lifeoutloudpodcast.com or by searching Life Out Loud Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. We also have an Instagram and Facebook if you want to get behind-the-scenes content. We'd like to thank everyone who helps make this possible, including our sound engineers and editors, as well as our episode writers, our website developers, and everyone behind the scenes here at Life Out Loud. And to our audience, we hope you love these stories as much as we did. It was a joy bringing them to you. A very special thank you to everyone listening in. We'll see you soon. And good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.